We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principal. I am excited to have Adam Fatchler on the program. Adam, welcome to Transformative Principal. Happy to have you. Oh, thank you for having me, Jethro. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So I am excited to talk to you because a lot of times in education, we as teachers, we have this plan for how we're going to do lessons and how we're going to teach kids. And sometimes it rocks and sometimes it drops and it's just not great at all. And so you've got this great method that you use to teach teachers how to transform their planning so they create amazing lessons. Can you walk us through your Empower Method and tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. I mean, you nailed it right on the head with what the main problem is. I mean, I think so many of us, whether we become alternatively certified through a program or even if we go through a traditional uh, teacher's college, it's really hard to square sometimes all the theory and all the templates and the graphic organizers that are supposed to sort of teach us how to teach. And so it's almost like there's this conversation that we're not having where what does your lesson plan look like or what does your unit plan look like? When we don't have a roadmap, of course, it's really hard to get where we're going. So like I'm sure a lot of your listeners, when I started teaching middle school, uh, 7th and 8th grade English language arts, I was always looking and reading. Like I must have spent you know, 75% of whatever didn't go to rent in my small New York City apartment most definitely went to like the education uh, library that I was trying to build and amass in my mind. Um, I'm sure a lot of your listeners can 
can yeah. relate to that. So teachers pay teachers is a huge business. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that's absolutely right. Like we're all searching, and so that's actually another good point. I mean, with teachers pay teachers. I mean, look, I love sharing resources, and I, of course, I love the concepts of educators empowered to become entrepreneurs and sell their wares. The issue sometimes with teachers pay teachers is there's really no quality control. And so I think, you know, of course, you love teachers and educators sharing resources and being empowered to even become entrepreneurial and share their expertise with fellows and, and even get paid to do so. The challenges with teachers pay teachers is that there's no quality control. And so you're not sure whether what you're downloading has gotten five stars because it was a great worksheet in a jiffy or whether it's actually a high quality you know, resource that is going to you know, get the impact that you want and the engagement that you want with your students. So the Empower Method sort of was, you know, was, was born out of all this inquiry and a way of just systematizing highly effective education that engages every learner in the room. Yeah, that's awesome. And one last thing about that teachers pay teachers thing. So the way that I teach, like it starts with a mindset of the learner does the work, not the teacher. And so like even that piece is not shared equally among all educators. And so the idea that I can either go find something that I would actually be able to use on teachers pay teachers or that I can go sell something myself on teachers pay teachers is, you know, that that or any other place, you know, that's one of the real challenges for me is that I don't approach learning in the same way that most teachers do. And so, you know, with an inquiry driven lesson where you start with a problem and then work through to a solution, you know, there's, there's more of that coming out now. And there's some great books, like I think it's AJ Giuliani, who does the design thinking book. I might've had that wrong, but anyway, there's, there's someone who wrote a design thinking book that I, that I love that I forgot the author's name, <laughs> but sorry. <laughs> but yeah, they're doing more of of that kind of thing. But like just grabbing a worksheet for me isn't really going to be something beneficial because like you said, the quality control is is just not there. And that that's where we need something that that helps us make better decisions in planning. And so like our audience is principals, and that's mostly who's listening to this. But what I want to be able to talk about is is how when a principal has an understanding of this empower method, they can then teach that to their teachers and help them learn it so that they can get what they want as the principal out of the lessons when they're going and doing observations. And I think that that's just a side uh, tangent piece that that we just want to keep in mind. So let's go ahead and talk about what the empower method stands for and, and what it means. Absolutely. Well, so I love that you brought up inquiry-based learning because that's really what we're trying to make a little bit less messy here. We're trying to take inquiry, which is how learning happens in the real world through apprenticing people into different ways of thinking and asking them and teaching them how to ask the right questions. And I think that like that process of design can become really messy and unwieldy. And I just know that from experience. So Empower effectively just keeps inquiry-based learning on the rails. And so what it stands for, E, is envision the destination. And so that's all manner of setting really powerful goals, deciding what the deliverables uh, will be for the unit of instruction, and then deciding on measures of success or quality criteria 
that we'll be sort of aiming for uh, as we develop expertise throughout the unit. So it's E and then it's M. M is to map the path to mastery. So after you envision the destination for your learners, that's really where the most challenging intellectual work takes place. And I'm talking about for educators as well as instructional leaders, because with the Empower Method, you're learning one methodology, but it scales. So it works with students in a classroom. It works with adult learners in a a professional development or staff development. And it really works for, you know, anyone teaching anyone anything. So math the path to mastery is this familiar process where they kind of have to like get into it. So I always say you need to do the task that you're assigning to your learners. So if you're expecting your teachers to implement, let's say, a specific kind of instructional technique or unit plan, you kind of have to go and do that learning yourself so that you can go the way, uh, know the way so that you can show the way. During Map the Path to Mastery, we're also, you know, breaking down a complicated task into little subtasks. We're also thinking about the mental model. So let's say, well, for example, Empower is a mental model. It's a simple acronym that, that simplifies what can otherwise be a, a complex process. You know, when I was teaching my students argument in the classroom, uh, I used to teach them the mental model crew, claim, reason, evidence, and warranting. And through learning that vocabulary, sort of seeing how it played out in arguments across the spectrum, they really developed a flexible, transferable way of thinking about it. So, okay, you're an educator or you're a leader. You've envisioned a destination. You know where you want your learners to go. You've mapped the path out. You sort of know the milestones and the journey and the timeline. Okay, now you have to really think about the learner-facing actions. And that is manifested in a power plan. So that P stands for priming. That O stands for orienting. That W stands for walkthrough. The E is explore. And the R is reflect. And I'm going to go into really quickly what each of those stands for. Priming is where you activate prior knowledge. It's where you uh, elicit the emotional aspects of the learning. Maybe you'll ask controversial questions. Maybe you'll give your learners a survey or an opinionaire just to see where they stand on the learning right now. So for example, if I were with a bunch of educators or leaders thinking about Empower, I would probably want to start off not with, hey, here's Empower. I'd probably want to start off with something like, How do you currently approach your curriculum design and unit planning? Do you use any tools? Tell me about those. What challenges do you face? Really eliciting from the learners what their current experience is with this problem. Orient the learning is then when you say, you know, for that problem, there is a solution. And here's what it looks like. Again, we're really focusing on the investment during these stages. The traditional teaching doesn't even really begin until the walkthrough. The walkthrough is where you model and demonstrate and mentor. All manner of guided practice happens in this phase, all in preparation for students exploring new territory, which is a performance task, a transfer opportunity, something that pushes students undeniably outside of their comfort zone, whether they are kids or adults. And then at every stage of the journey, sort of the engine that's driving us the whole time is the final R, reflect on the journey. And that's where you summarize what you've learned, how you've learned it. You self-assess and engage in all manner of metacognition as you set next steps. And so what you have right there 
is an acronym with two parts that happen behind the scenes, envision and map, and then a five-part, no-fail, proven process that aligns with all the cognitive research, all the theory, and most importantly, real teacher practice that sort of results in crazy levels of transfer and engagement in the classroom. And I'm just been, honestly, I've been most happy about it as a user because I feel like I have got this thing that has made my teaching life. And I, I teach teachers for a living. I teach coaches, instructional coaches, and, and principals and superintendents. And I've always struggled with like, how am I going to actually script what I need to do and build what I need to build? This has just been so helpful. And I'm really excited to share it with a wider audience. Yeah. So in addition to my principal duties this year, I have the opportunity through my church to teach early morning seminary to kids, which high school kids, which is 6.30 to 7.20 in the morning. And, you know, nobody wants to be there during that time. Yeah, it's a tough part. Tough. (laughs) Yeah. So I've actually uh, used the Empower Method to do that. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that as, as like a real fresh teaching experience in my mind because it, it has made an impact. And so, so that envision piece and the mapping piece in those, it sounds like the way that you described it, like it's a lot of work. As in each lesson I prepare, I'm going to have to spend at least that much time going through and doing it myself. And talk a little bit about that because I felt like before I did it, like that's what it was going to be and that my class is 50 minutes and I needed that extra time. Like I needed to book an hour and a half to do all my planning. And it actually didn't take that long. So, so talk a little bit about how you, how you shortcut that process so that you're not actually like, you know, if you're teaching five classes in a day, you're not going to spend 10 hours a day before preparing. That's just not going to work. How do you work that process? You know, you bring up a really interesting point with obviously the time that it takes to do these things. You know, all, you know, what's interesting is, is that when you look outside of the United States to a country like, for example, Japan, and you look at the time that teachers get to plan, it almost like matches the amount of time that they get to actually teach students in the classroom. And so there are definitely some places that have keyed into how most of the you know, whether you win the day in your classroom or your staff room, it, most of that is decided well before you enter. You know, it is really like the planning is is everything. It's the foundation of what you do. So a couple of things. One, when you do this at the unit level, you set yourself up for a much easier month or six weeks or eight weeks ahead because you have front-loaded a lot of the work. And so what I'd say is it's not a time cost. It's a time investment because you are paid back dividends. You get your weekends back. Um, and I would say that the other thing is, is that for both Envision, Map, Prime, Orient, Walkthrough, et cetera, what we're trying to do is give you exercises and templates because you're making the same kinds of decisions over and over again. So for example, when we're envisioning the destination, something that I help educators learn is to crystallize your learning target or your learning outcome in a gem. You know, trying to be a little bit cutesy because (laughs) if it rhymes or if it's an acronym, people can remember it. That's the marketing side of me talking. So crystallize your learning outcome in a gem. And gem stands for goal, evidence, and measure of success. 
And so now, now that you've got goal evidence measured success, if you look into the book, and you know what, frankly, I'm just going to probably send all these things out to uh, your listeners for, for being good listeners. Um, all of these templates with sample goals, sample evidence, and sample measures of success, it really paves the way for people becoming not only better at you know teaching in the classroom, but they become better planners just by using the framework. And that, that was really what we were after in the first place. Like, how could you turn the active instructional planning into a kind of deliberate practice, into something that you could really get expert at over time just by using the framework? Yeah, I think that that's fantastic. And, and that advice of doing it at the unit level is really powerful because then you're not talking about what you want to get out of each lesson, but you look at it at a bigger a bigger chunk so that if you know they don't get every little piece for each lesson, you know what they you want them to get at the end. And that is really important. So on an administrative level, so when I want my teachers to rethink how we're doing uh, interactions with kids relating to disciplinary procedures, for example, I want them to see the child as a child first and as someone who broke the rules second. And so when that's my bigger goal, then the way that I walk them through that throughout the course of a whole entire year of working with them is different than if I want them to get that out of one training. And so it allows for those those long-term conversations, those learning opportunities, when that goal is clear, then that's when it helps, helps you make that the power part work a lot better because you're looking for that singular goal rather than, you know, just saying, well, today we want to learn how to, how to identify the positive things. Okay, well, that's great, but that's, that's a little too short. So then in my early morning seminary stuff, the thing that I learned with them is, you know, I want them to become spiritual people. And some of them are already there and some of them are not there. But looking at that as a whole, that makes it a lot easier when I have individual conversations to help put them on the right path rather than go later. So I think that, that is, that's a great example. I get really excited when people start to use the language sort of, I don't want to say like colloquially, but almost like naturally, like, you know, you're, you're thinking about, uh, your seminary school and, you know, you are sort of like a, a pastor shepherding your followers towards living this, this, this rich life. And like, you really are envisioning a destination that is a little off in the distance for them. Like you're saying, they might not be spiritual people today, but we're going to get there. And because, I assume that you have uh, adopted a lot of the practices that you preach into your life. That's mapping the path to mastery. And so even if, even in your simple example of helping uh, the educator see the child first, what was it? What was your formulation again? So you see the child, the child as a child first, not as someone who broke the rules first. Ah, uh, And so to me, that's the mental model. Like that's a principle that's generative. In other words, I can take that phrase, which you could fit onto the size of a fortune cookie, but I could extrapolate it out. It means so much more. So when they break the rules, I have to see them as a child first. When they throw a tantrum, I have to see them as a child first. And it's like, what are the ways that I can use that thing flexibly? And then of course, with the educator, the goal is you want them to likely perform a wide range of relationship building repertoire. The evidence would be, you know, you could 
collect a survey and see how the student relationships are. The evidence could be observations in that educator's classroom, you know, and the measures of success would be, you know, is each interaction between student and uh, teacher respectful, mindful, compassionate? We'd really try and find those quality descriptors that we're looking for. And over time, instead of just saying to, you know, your teachers, not your teachers, but in general, you know, uh, we need you to be, you know, better with the kids or more mindful with the kids, you're really articulating what you mean and what we're going to observe and produce and then really, like, what qualities we're looking for to get there. I just, I, I think it, it, to expand this stuff to social and emotional learning is, is so needed. So I applaud you're doing so with your learners and your, and your teachers. Yeah, well, and Adam, honestly, one of my big beliefs is that social and emotional learning is all the learning that really matters. The kids can figure out all the <laughs> knowledge they need to. And the, the place where we need to make the emphasis in our conversations with them and in our explicit teaching is on that social emotional stuff because you know you can look up anything on the internet and some of it's true and some of it's not but the reality is most of it doesn't even matter and so teaching them how to be good human beings is is what needs to be the priority and and so if it doesn't start there for me then you know we're missing a huge part of what we should be doing in education did you know that the original definition of educator in the dictionary, when it was first put there, was foster parent? Like in 1850-something, educator translated to foster parent. And it really just gives, it gives you moment for pause. Like, we've come really far from that original definition, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I heard someone talking about it the other day that there's a, a Greek word that is something like uh, that it to pull out or something like that. Yep. To draw out. Yep. It's like a, it's a sort of like a Buddhist conception. The, the original roots of educate come from educeer, which is to draw out. And then parenthetically, and this is really important and it really ties to map the past semester, uh, map the past semester. It's to, to draw or lead out by example. And it's such a critical part that is missed. So, yeah, you want to draw out the best, but how do you do that? By being your best self. So if you want your, you know, your learners to be a certain way, how are you embodying that ideal yourself? And that's what Math the Path to Mastery is all about. Like I said, if you're going to assign somebody a task, you're going to say you need to be pious or argumentative or critical or engaging. Well, <laughs> the, the path forward is to, is to practice what you preach and model what you teach. Yeah, so I did find the thing that I was that I was looking for is from a an article on eric.ed.gov, which is a collection of educational resources, and it says Educare and Educeer is a balance possible in the educational system by Randall B. Bass, and he says Kraft noted that there are two different Latin roots of the English word education. They are Educare, which means to train or to mold, and Educeer, meaning to lead out or draw out, as you said. While the two meanings are quite different, they are both represented in the word education. And so what I think is fascinating is we have, um, we're really going down a rabbit hole. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> but but we have hey, more, <laughs> gone more towards that lead, uh, that train and mold and less of the yeah. out or draw out. And I think that is so fascinating. And and what I love about the Empower Method is that it it asks us 
to to draw out rather than to mold them into what we want. And and I just think that that is really powerful. So anyway, you you can find that educator and educer, E-D-U-C-E-R-E uh, by Randall Bass. And it's, um, you can get the full text on uh, eric.ed.gov. So anyway, go check that out. It's really fascinating. I love it. I mean, look, I, you know, you, you know we, had, we had connected a little bit before the podcast began about how you were, you know, considering opening up the school. And I actually had the opportunity to do that in New York. It's a place called School in the Square. And it's a really different place. Um, it was really founded um, in the ethos that you're talking about, like really drawing out the best in every kid. And there's like a little video on the website that you can play. And it's like all about relationships first. It's not the content, it's the connections that, that really gets the learning process started. And that's why in the Empower Method, which I don't want to be, I want to be clear about one thing about the Empower Method. It does honor the student's humanity. It, it honors all learners' humanity. But as soon as you get past that prime and orient stuff, which is cognitively rigorous, you get to the walkthrough and the explore. And that's where I think a lot of people who will be saying, oh, it can't just be uh, touchy, feely, and emotional. That's where those people will find some great satisfaction because we're drawing on the principles laid out by Anders Ericsson and the 10,000-hour know, rule research just all about what it takes to not only foster deliberate practice like like empower or anything else that you can become expert at over time but what we're also realizing is that the breadth of your training predicts the breadth of your transfer so if you keep on writing five paragraph essays and you never have the opportunity to like write for a different kind of audience that skill set doesn't really become transferable so just as quickly as people learn in power, I say, I want you to apply this to your personal training, to your workouts, to your seminary teaching, to your PD, to everything, because it transfers and, and you get better at it by just flexing it to whatever context you're in. And I think uh, you don't have to choose. You don't have to choose between lessons that you know kill the soul of kids but build them skills and uh, approach that honors their social emotional learning. No, no, no. The answer is the third way. It's the middle ground where you can honor both. And that's actually where the best rewards are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, this this has been a great conversation and I really appreciate it. I know that you have some uh, resources for those who are listening if they'd like to explore this further. How do they get a hold of those things? Absolutely. Um, so that's at empoweryourteaching.com and you're going to be able to download a canvas that has like a bunch of action steps kind of built in there and that you can print it and throw post-its on it. You're also going to get a one pager that summarizes a lot of what I was talking about today. And then if you are signed up and empower your teaching, you're going to be getting sort of hits from us and the exercises that we're testing in schools and, uh, and tools for leaders in order to do this work with their teachers, because obviously it's the instructional leaders of the school who set the tone and uh, mapping the path and really doing the work, really doing the design work for the educators and viewing staff PD is just another opportunity for you to hone your instructional prowess. It's just a, a great opportunity. And I love when educate when uh, educational leaders like take that on. So that's empoweryourteaching.com for a whole bunch of free stuff. 
Excellent. So I definitely suggest you go there and, and get that empoweryourteaching.com. And the last question that I ask Adam is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? Oh, that's such a generous words. Uh, you know what I would say is I would start from the beginning. I would just ask educators for your upcoming unit. What's the gem? What's the goal? What are students going to be able to do independently without you by the end of the unit? What's the evidence that you're going to collect? Are they going to produce something, perform something, all of the above, maybe a portfolio? And then the measures of success. What are the qualities that we're going for? Is it convincingness with an argument or engagingness with a narrative or informativeness with an informational piece? But you, you'll find that you know when educators can really speak to that gem, which is just the first step of the process, you can really see evidence of it in the classroom. And then here's the bonus. Ask the students, do they know what they're going for? Do they know what they're going to produce? And they do, know, do they know how their work uh, is going to be judged by themselves, their peers, and the expert community that they're uh, taking part in? So I think that's a good start. Three little questions. Um, and that's, that's what I'd like to see. Excellent. Well, thank you so much again for being part of Transformative Principle. And a reminder, you can check out his resources for the Empower Method at empoweryourteaching.com. And you can get the show notes for this episode at transformativeprinciple.org. Thanks, Jethro. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.